Welcome to Unapologetically Abundant Podcast. I'm your host, Petya Kolibová, that love coach who helps corporate women who have been pushed down and back due to traumatic relationship or childhood trauma in their past, which has caused them to see themselves not in a bright light that makes them people please and not show up the way they know they are capable of showing up. My mission is to help women who are on the path to heal from their past wounds, move through their limiting beliefs and internal blocks so they can guide other women through online coaching, which is that deep down what they are feeling they really want to do instead of sitting in their corporate job. Each week I will be offering an interview or an idea that will support you to leave behind what isn't serving you anymore and create a life filled with freedom, abundance, and purpose. No more hiding, no more waiting. The time to take care of yourself, to up-level your life is now. Hello, hello, beautiful soul. I am extremely excited for today's episode because with everything that is happening in the world, I'm getting so many questions in my DMs that I personally might not know all the answers. So I'm just calling in the expert. And today I have with me the one and only amazing Dr. Bradley Campbell. I am so honored to have you here today. Thanks for having me, Petia. Can't wait to chat. Absolutely. Before we start talking and really go, I know it can be a rabbit hole a little bit when we start talking about the topics that are really hot, hot, hot right now. Um, If you're open to it, what I love starting my podcast with is short visual meditation. Would you be open for that? Definitely. Beautiful. So Let's start with just gently closing your eyes and find a comfortable place on your chair when you can really relax and just chill for next few moments and closing your eyes and really starting to ground yourself in this present moment. Breathing deeply in and out with your chest rising and falling. And everything that happened today and everything that will still be happening today, it's irrelevant because this time and space is just for you. And as your shoulders are relaxing and your feet are getting heavy, you're breathing in and out. And I would love for you, if you don't mind, to visualize a beautiful summer morning in Germany and you are walking there through the small streets with your mom and as you're walking there and looking at the beautiful architecture and the people around you you're feeling so connected to your environment and as you're walking and having a beautiful deep conversations with your mom There are little kids running around and playing and you're just admiring how present they can be and how joyful can be. And one of the little boys who is running around runs to you and looks at you and he asks, who are you? What is the one thing you want him to know about you? 
not what do you do, but who you really are. I would say that I'm a playful, fun, big child. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. Thank you so much for answering that. I love that because imagine if every single one of us could keep that playfulness, how life and world would be really different. Yeah, it'd be so much better, I think, and more joyous. Yeah. And, you know, for anyone who is not following you yet, you got to see his Instagram because um, I am, you're sharing like so much wisdom there. And I know that you're sharing even more on your Telegram. However, the memes that you are sharing, it's just like, it crap cracks me up and it's beautiful how you know how to really make other people feel better and choosing a different way. And one thing that I noticed about you is that, you are not like straightforward, like doctor and science, and there's only one way and looking in front, right? Like you have such a holistic approach to healing and so many different ideas. So what took you on this path to see this life and healing itself so holistically? Yeah, I think just always being a critical thinker, a deep thinker. I had a lot of teachers that made me question everything and always ask why. And, you know, you get into the rabbit hole of Eastern medicine, Chinese medicine, and they truly see how connected everything is between our internal nature and our external nature. So they see the beauty of how the change of seasons outside happens. And they see the beauty of how people go through cycles of growth, like the seasons as well. And they see how the mind and the body are connected and they see how oftentimes our mental health and our emotional health are much more important than our physical health and drive the physical health that we experience. So they really tie into that mind-body connection and they really see the importance of community and love and just all of the emotional, spiritual aspects of health that often get left astray or ignored in modern medicine. I love that because we really get to look at the root cause and not again say, right? Like there's only one way how to do things, but really look at it um, from a different perspective. And uh, you are speaking about so many different things and topics too, you know, for uh, on your social media that you are really bringing in the aspect of the community. You're really bringing in the, and I can see that, you know, with how many live interviews you're doing um, with other doctors, with other people who are aligned with your messaging. Um, so I can tell that community, it's really, really important for you. And one thing that I'm noticing is that right now people are getting so divided with everything that is happening in the world. And I personally was really excited and curious to speak with you today because I myself am working on, I know what is my belief. I know what I stand for. And then when I see other people who, to me, and this is again, only my belief, seem blind, right? And seeing just following what they feel they should be doing. How do you look at those people with really love when the first thing that comes up for you, it's judgment. And even like if it's your friends and family, the fear, what can happen to them and their health? 
Yeah, I think you start to put yourselves in their shoes and see where they're getting their news and their information, what media they're surrounding themselves with, with their eyes, with their ears, in their community. If they're in a big city, they're more likely to be scared or a little, you know, at least in America. And then if you get farther out from the city, those people are spread out. They're not really as concerned. Um, they don't have to worry about a six foot distancing thing. So they're not really concerned. So I think you look at their environment, you look at the experiences, you listen to the stories that they've had from their last year and a half. You start to see what news they listen to or read and what they're surrounding themselves with. And you realize that most people end up absorbing what they surround themselves with. And you just acknowledge and accept that majority of people right now are surrounding themselves with a more fear-based narrative. And so you just have empathy for those people. You realize that that is unfortunately the state of the world. And um, I think you just have to come to a place of acceptance and forgiveness for society right now that that's where their headspace is. And it's a to me, um, just missing the big holistic picture, right? Like mm -hmm. maybe one in 500, one in a thousand might not make it from the germ that's out there, but one in two, 50% will actually likely get some form of cancer in the United States or in the UK. So I think we're really just like focusing on the wrong thing. We've been distracted from how to live a healthy life and we've kind of funneled ourselves into how to live a clean germ-free life, which is not truly a healthy lifestyle. And it's it might help us in the acute situation we're in now, but long-term, it's gonna cause more issues for our stress, for our ecosystem, for our immune system. And it's just not really helpful. So I think when you see people who don't really question things, you, I would just feel sorry for them, if anything, and um, start to ask them some questions and start to really like open their minds up to um, maybe just like what their own experiences and what they've been through, not necessarily what they've been told the reality of the situation is. Mm -hmm. That is really great way to start. And what about like, uh, how would people know that the information they're finding online on internet, you know, because there's so much information right now, how they are going to know that the information that they find is information that it's relevant, the information that it's true? Because if we want to be like bringing in the wisdom to the people who might have different opinion, and this is not about playing I'm right, you're wrong but about offering them the information. How can you find information nowadays that it's reliable? That is such a good question. I think, um, man, that is so hard to answer because I feel like most of the information that's out there is not super reliable. Um, like I've been saying the whole year, logic is fast, science is slow. And a lot of things that we've been saying in my sort of field or in the holistic health field has been true the whole time. We've sort of been able to predict what was happening, what would happen, because we knew logically from how we know that germs with this level of contagiousness spread, we knew what would happen, that we were kind of like prolonging an inevitable situation. Um, we knew logically what was needed to really help people build their health 
and their immune system, which got ignored. But I think there's not a lot of really good sources out there as that really offer a balanced, moderate perspective that's not hyperpolarized. So the best advice I have is to look at both sides of the spectrum, whatever country you're in, look at the far left, look at the far right, look at the government's medical advice, and then just listen to independent voices that are not biased or don't have a financial incentive, right? Mm -hmm. The companies trying to sell you something generally have a financial incentive to sell that to you or profit off of it. So I think if you listen to them, you just have to listen um, with, you know, the understanding that they're probably going to be giving you a very biased perspective of what's going on mm -hmm. and just take it with a grain of salt. Like don't take everything they say as the utmost truth. And then same thing when you read um, articles by people who are on the front lines in the hospitals, that's going to obviously be very biased one way because they're experiencing the worst of the worst. And when you read an article of someone who's like out in the rural country where there are only two cases in the whole year and a half, they're going to have a very different perspective if they're a doctor out there. Um, if they're in, you know, a suburb or near a city and they're in general primary care practice, those doctors will probably have a more balanced perspective because they're seeing the whole population. Um, so you really have to figure out where someone's bias is, what their background is, where they're coming from, what their financial incentives are, and look at the wide spectrum of left, right, center, um, pro, anti, intermediate, and then try to find some independent voices that really have people's best interest at heart and aren't worried about politics or government or policy or making a profit off of you or other people. Mm, that's great. That's a great advice. And, uh, you know, like who likes easy questions, right? Like, no, because you, you said it like, hey, I'm a critical thinker. There we go. <laughs> One thing you said is that you were able from, you know, since everything was happening with other of your holistic friends or colleagues to look at the situation and see how is it progressing. So where do you see this going now from where we are? Because there are some people who are hopeful and they're like, okay, this will all go. There's no normal, right? But like going back to, we will be able to be traveling and doing things. So what do you see it's going to be happening next? So the good news and bad news is that places like the US and the UK and Israel all have extremely high levels of antibodies to the germ that's out there. So the UK had over 95% in the last couple of weeks ago of people who either had a jab or had a natural infection. The US in the beginning of June had 80%. Israel has over 90% as well. However, those places that have the most jabs are generally not doing so great. And the places that have the least jabs, like Sweden, um, are generally doing better. So we're not quite sure how the mass jabbing of a country will go, but generally it's not looking super great. However, the combination of jabs and natural immunity means that once possibly like 100% of people in those countries has had a natural infection, whether they've had a jab or not, once we get to that point, which is getting close, probably by springtime, that should happen. We should have a very good kind of natural herd immunity that we've developed, which is how you know our bodies have done it for millennia. 
And that means that the cases will likely drop down. It'll be something closer to like a flu endemic level. So the C19 germ that's around will eventually become jab resistant. It's only two mutations away from the Delta variant becoming jab resistant. There's also Lambda and R.1's mother variants that are jab resistant currently. So once everyone sort of had their jab or a natural infection, we might get future um, waves around the globe that spread around and basically we'll have to make a new jab for them or it'll be um, milder because the natural immunity will protect you with T cells for years or decades or your lifetime. So likely the severity of the illness will get less over time as our natural immune systems recognize it, whether you've had a jab or not. And it shouldn't be, so basically it should be less deadly. It should be less people getting sick, going to the hospital. And um, whether we have lots of jabs or not, it should start to get better, but it likely will come in waves for at least a few more years to come. Mm. But it's kind of hopeful in a way that we have so many people who are protected one way or another in mm -hmm. a lot of these first world countries now. So a couple of things that I'm personally curious about, you know, like your opinion about it. The first is, are the jobs really safe? Because it was developed so quickly and we really didn't have time to test it and try it, right? It's not like I talk about this with my mom who lives currently in Europe. And she said, well, when we gave you jobs when you were a little, it was for decades tested. You know, the, like it was like the blah, black cough, you know, and things like that. So those were tested for decades. What we are experiencing now, I, there were not even like weeks or months to have it really tested. So um, how do you feel about it being safe or how, like, do we need five years, 10 years to really see what will happen? So like your mom said, we probably need 10 15, 20 years to see what's really going to happen. Mm -hmm. As far as children and pregnant women, that will probably notice within two to three years. Um, but any long-term immune system issues or other issues could take 10 plus years to really find out what's going to happen. Um, there, the question of if it's safe is really a question of how safe is it? Nothing is a black and white decision like we were saying earlier. It's not like super pro, super anti. It's just... Mm -hmm how safe is it? And right now, this is generally the least safe jab of all time. There's more, at least in the United States, in our VAERS reporting system, the V adverse event reporting system, it's the most adverse events that have ever been reported in history by far. There's 700,000 plus events that have been reported, tens of thousands of deaths reported. Now, those may not be actual causal deaths. So we don't necessarily know if those deaths are being directly caused by or just associated with like, I had it and a week later, something bad happened. Um, but if you go and read those, you know, thousands and thousands of reports, most of them do seem to be causally related. And generally, most medical institutions acknowledge that it's an underreporting that happens to those systems. So no one knows exactly how much underreporting there is. It could be 1% of all unsafe events, adverse events get reported. It could be somewhere less than that, more like 10% get reported. So generally people say you have to take the number that's there and multiply it by anywhere from 
10 to 100. And the average people generally say somewhere between 10 to 41 times under reporting. But there's also people who will say that half of the reports in there are not really causative. So then I drop it down and say, if you multiply the numbers that are in there by five to 20, that's kind of like about where you get the range of how unsafe they are. So if you take the adverse events in that reporting system, multiplying by five to 20, that's likely what's happening. Now, a lot of doctors are supposed to report those events, but in the United States, they're being disincentivized or sort of told by their bosses and employers not to report them, which is part of why people say that they're not getting reported. A lot of times patients will not go back to the people who gave them their jab and tell them about it too. Like they don't have the time or they just don't know, they don't know how to do it. Um, so the doctors don't report it because they don't even learn about it. But some small percentage of those people will actually go report it themselves, do the research and kind of like report it to the system themselves. It is a federal crime, like it's a legal crime to actually report something that's false. So generally you don't get a lot of like fake reports on that system. People do take it quite seriously. Um, so it's definitely the least safe jab in history. Um, the question becomes, what's the real risk of having an adverse event? And generally, it's probably around one in um, like 500 to one in 1,000 to maybe one in 10,000. But we really don't know how bad that is. We do know that, you know, somewhere between like 30 to 50% of people will have some side effects after they take the jab, which does mean that it's working. It means it's creating inflammation and an immune response. But in we've been doing blood testing on patients before and after they take the jab, and we find that inflammatory change in their blood. And it does seem to cause, similar to a natural infection, it does seem to cause some cardiovascular risk markers to elevate, some inflammatory markers to elevate, some liver enzymes to elevate, which could cause some of the issues um, that we're seeing short-term in like young children with myocarditis. And it could cause some potential long-term cardiovascular issues that again, we might not really have good collective data on for 10, 15 years or so. Mm. Well, this is going to be a, a quite a journey. <laughs> Let me tell you 10, 15 years waiting how the world will really unfold. Now, looking at the short term, also, there's a lot of um, talking about the shedding, right, for the people who choose to get the jabs, and then they're around people who are choosing not to, to get them. What do you feel about, you know, shedding and how long do you think it can be happening? Or is that something that we won't know either because we never experienced this before? So shedding is a phenomenon that typically happens with act live and dead or active and inactive viral jabs in the past. This jab is completely different. So there's no actual like injected virus that could be spread or could be shed from one person to another. So the classical term of shedding is quite rare, but it's basically a case of someone's injected for um, trying to prevent a germ infection and that germ actually sheds out of them and they end up getting sick with the germ that it was intended to protect them against and they spread it to someone else. So it's sort of like if you were to inject someone to help them with the chicken pox, the patient who was injected actually gets the chicken pox and then gives it to some other people as well. So that's traditionally what happens. Because this one is more of a mRNA or DNA type of jab, that 
active or inactive virus that's in there doesn't exist. It's not there. So that's not what is happening. However, other potential mechanisms could be happening, but we have no evidence at all to show that it is happening. So it's almost uh, like there's different hypotheses of what could be happening. There's conjecture around what could be happening. There's different medical possibilities, scientific possibilities of what could be happening. All we really know is there, there are tens of thousands of people who are unjabbed being around somebody who is jabbed and reporting to have very strange side effects, especially with menstrual issues, postmenopausal women who are bleeding, which is very rare and unusual, um, people who are shedding full casts of you know, their uterus, which is not normal. Um, and a lot of these women or people did not even realize that they were around someone who was recently jabbed. So they find out later after these really weird symptoms. So no one's sure how long it lasts. Seems to be a couple weeks, about one to two weeks, but no one really knows why that's happening. There's different potential causes um, of why it's happening. It could be somehow people are spreading spike protein that gets made. It could be that the antibodies that get made on the skin from either a natural infection or a jab potentially affect other people. There could be energetic resonance theories that happen, sort of like women's periods sync up. There could be an energetic resonance of someone who recently got a jab and the way their immune system is signaling to other people. That could be affecting other people. Um, and there's also a phenomenon where when you protect the body against one type of viral infection, other viruses can sometimes pop out. It's sort of like throwing a bully in a new, in a classroom that's already full. Another bully can actually like pop out because the new bully, you know, outcompetes the other bully and the other bully gets thrown out of the room. Sometimes in the past jabs or injections, what we find is that you actually protect someone against one germ and another germ kind of sheds and spreads to someone else. So it could be some other particles or immune system issues that kind of like pop out and start getting shed to other people. So, but again, we have zero research on any of that. It's all conjecture at this point, but a lot of people and the mainstream media are sort of gaslighting and telling tens of thousands of women and other people that that's not possible. It's all in their heads. It's just anxiety. They're, you know, just making it up or trying to promote um, some weird conspiracy, but it's their lived experience and their suffering. And rather than try to understand or try to help them, we're sort of just like trying to sweep it under the rug and say, ignore this. It can't possibly be real, even though there are potential mechanisms why it could be real. And um, it's something that we want to at least try to acknowledge and maybe even research some of those potential mechanisms in the future. Mm -hmm. Thank if you so going, much. We're probably going to be using mRNA technology for a long time to come because it does show promising benefits for cancer research and for other potential injections. So if any of this is happening, um, it's likely that we should try to research it because in the past, all genetic-based injections have been required to study shedding or these type of issues. But this jab, because it was warp speeded, because it was sped up, they didn't actually study it and they classified it as a V injection rather than a genetic therapy because genetic therapies are required to be tested for their potential effects on those near them. Whereas because this was classified differently, even though it's kind of a V injection and kind of a genetic therapy, they kind of reclassified it so they didn't have to do that extra step of research. Now, a lot of people say like, because it was sped up, they missed different research steps where it was like pushed through too fast. That's really not true. It, 
all the normal VE research did take place. It just took place in an expedited sped up process because of the high demand and because there was tons of money thrown at it and you know tens of thousands of scientists who were meaning well to try to like make the best thing to help humanity. So they didn't really like skip a lot of steps. They just sort of like did them all at the same time. But that is one step because it was not labeled as a genetic therapy that did get skipped over a little bit. Super valuable, really valuable. So um, one of the last questions for those who are listening right now and they are feeling under stress or pressure because they have one opinion and their loved ones has a different opinions, what is that they can really do if, if just they cannot find a common ground in one or the other? And I see even like family dividing, you know, when mother doesn't want to get her kids jabbed and the father wants to, and there's no other problems, just this different opinion. And there is like families being broken. What would you like to tell them so they can keep going? I mean, the main things I would like to tell them is that everyone should have my body, my choice, body autonomy. And the most beautiful thing about these jabs is that they do not protect anybody else except for the person who gets them. They do protect others a little bit, but now with the Delta strain, it's only about 39% at the beginning and that wanes over time. So they're really not effective at all at stopping someone from catching or spreading the germ, which is why we're seeing so many breakthrough infections. So that's good because it means that getting younger people jabbed doesn't really protect their parents, doesn't protect their elders. Um, and if anything, it's a false sense of security because those people could be more likely to have the germ, have lesser symptoms, not realize that they have it and spread it as well. So that's like a key takeaway point. And the other thing is just to respect other people's opinions. It is hard when there are two parents you know, trying to make decisions for other people because children really don't have the body autonomy yet. But I think if you really look at the data of what the true risk of some of these jabs would be for those age groups, um, that helps a lot. And John Hopkins University, you can Google John Hopkins University, the C19 calculator, and find that they have a calculator to show you what the actual risk is of either like hospitalization or death from the germ that's going around. And you can really find out just how dangerous or not this thing is, because the biggest thing is comorbidities and the even bigger factor is age. So like people under 30, under 40, their risk is extremely low. And when you take like a 16 to 17 year old male child, their risk of reactions with myocarditis is actually drastically higher of going to the hospital for that than it is from the germ itself. So you start to have to weigh the risks and benefits that are different for every group, much more risk of the germ, the older you are, much more risk and less from the jab and much less risk from the actual infection when you're younger. And because the jab doesn't really protect other people, we get to make a decision for each individual what's right for them. And we also need to acknowledge that natural immunity is a big deal. So if someone has already had this germ 19, then they necessar don't necessarily need to get the jab to protect them because they'll have T cells and they can make more antibodies when they need it in the future. So that those T cells should last for years. So we need to acknowledge the beauty of natural immunity of our innately intelligent immune systems and bodies. We, so it's a complex subject, but I think if you start to listen to people, accept 
some people will likely make emotional decisions rather than logical decisions because that's how our brains work. We usually make emotional decisions and justify them with logic later. But if you can get people, accept them, love them, kind of like listen to them, have compassion for them and their stories, then once they feel loved and cared for, then they can start to make more logical decisions. So whether you're a doctor trying to get your family to all take the jab, I think if you listen to them, hear their stories, have compassion, accept them, whether they do it or not, and kind of like love them, they'll get a little bit less um, emotional about it. And then they might be able to make a logical decision and do what's in their best interest to either take it or not take it. And same thing if you're a parent or if you're a son of someone who you're trying to get to take the jab or not take the jab. I think if you really like love them and care about them more than you care about your incentive or your goal, right? If your goal is to get them to take it or not take it or change their opinion, if you really care about them more than your own goals, it really comes across. People can sense that instantly. And if you do kind of have their best interest in mind, that's the best way to truly help somebody. So powerful and we can apply it anywhere and anytime, not just on this situation, right? Like coming to people from place of love versus what's in it for me and I want to be the right and I'll show you how I'm right, right? Mm -hmm. um, so we can really like disarm people with our love and like, I love you no matter what. So that it's really beautiful. And I already mentioned that the place that I absolutely love following you, it's Instagram and Telegram, but is there any other place that people can connect with you that they can learn more about you? Um, those places are great. You know, Instagram is dr.bradleycampbell. And um, I have a nonprofit website called healthassurancemovement.org. And there's some free videos up there. There's some uh, immune supplement suggestions, both for like an immune detox and for, you know, prevention and treatment for some viral issues. And then there's also some free health quizzes and self-care guides as well for your, you know, your adrenal, your thyroid, your liver, your gut. So ways that people can actually start to identify where some of their issues might be and how they can start having self-care for their own problems powerful thank you so much not only for today and your time i know it's the ending of your day as it is mine but also for everything you're bringing to people you know so they feel supported and heard and really that there is a hope so thank you so much thank you Kaya. thanks for having me on